when I was a child, I, um, uh, I wanted to grow an oak tree. Because I'd seen an oak tree in the park, and I thought, that's impressive, I'd like an oak tree. And I knew that you could grow them from acorns, because my brother had a little metal, um, it was a little me- metal uh, money box, and it was, it was in the shape of a book, and a little slot in the top to put the coins in, and on the front it said something like, uh, mighty, mighty oak trees from small acorns grow. And it was the idea, you put your pocket money in and you save up. So I had this idea in my head about growing an, uh, an oak tree. So I got an acorn and a little plastic pot and I got some dirt from the garden and I put the dirt in a pot and I planted the acorn and then I went to bed. Uh, and then when I got up in the morning, I went to see my oak tree. And I was very disappointed when it wasn't there. Uh, I thought, oh. So I watered it again and I, and I left it another night. And then the second day I went and had another look and still just dirt. So I think it was taking a bit longer than I thought. And after about four days, there was a tiny little shoot, which, to be fair, was probably a weed. But, <laughs> probably, given where I got the dirt from, it's probably a weed. But I kind of thought, oh, well, my oak tree has started, but clearly this is not going to be a quick thing. Clearly this is going to take longer than I was hoping for. I must have been about seven or eight, and I was very impatient. So, but I knew there's a correlation between kind of watering things and how fast they would grow. So I thought, well, maybe if I, the more I water it, the faster it will grow. So if I water it a lot, maybe it'll, I'll have an oak tree before the weekend. So I got a big bucket of water and uh, just emptied it over the, um, over the little pot and uh, I just washed everything away. At which point I gave up because I thought, you know, if, that was like 50 years ago, so probably it's still going to be about that big and I'm still be disappointed. But we've, generally we're, we're very impatient with things and when it comes to, to God, often we're very impatient with God because we expect, we expect God to work to our agenda uh, rather than us working to his agenda. For some reason we kind of, we get it into our heads that the almighty God of the universe who created everything, who's all powerful and all holy and almighty, he should fit into what I want him to do. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised. Actually, it kind of works the other way around. And sometimes his timing isn't our timing. I was, just this last week, I've been reading again through um, the book of Judges in the Old Testament and the story of Samson. And I was really struck by the story of Samson because for the time, uh, basically the, the Israelites have been beaten up by the Philistines for 40 years. Like for 40 years they've been oppressed, the Philistines are, you know, slaughtering them and smashing all their crops. And after 40 years, the Israelites, the people, they cry out to God for help. They're like, we've had enough of this. Uh, come and help us. And God hears their cry. But what does he do? He calls a woman. We never know her name. He calls a woman. He says, you're going to have a baby. Now, if I'd been an Israelite, having been beaten up by the, by the Philistines for 40 years, and I've said, Lord, we need help. And he said, I'll give you a baby. I'd be like, you what? I want help now. I need deliverance now. And God says, no, I'm going to give you a baby. You're going to have to wait a bit longer. And we don't know how old Samson was when he kind of really gets going, but probably 20. It's like another 20. They've been beaten up for like 40 years, and now they've got to wait another 20 years before deliverance starts to come. So we always, we always expect God to work faster than often he does. And then we get frustrated, and then we get impatient, and we say, oh, it's not working. You know, the Israelites with Samson, we thought, well, we've asked for help, and nothing's happening. 
took 20 years because God's working to a different timetable. Now that's all preamble and introduction to the parable of the ten miners because if you cast your mind back to Christie's brilliant sermon the last time we were in Luke back in 2018 or something but no, it was just back in March uh, she was speaking on the, the beginning of uh, chapter 19 Zacchaeus and the tax collector and Christie said this brilliant thing which I'll write a story about at some point to turn the page of when you are asking someone to look after your child or your dog, or it could be interchangeable, but if you're asking someone to look after something, the thing you really want them to remember, that's the thing you say last. So in all the instructions you give them, the thing you really want them to remember, that's what you say last. And so, um, I know we've just done the whole Easter story, but now we're going to do it again, because because we're just about to arrive in Jerusalem, having just, so sorry about that, just the way it's worked out. So uh, Jesus and the disciples are about to arrive in Jerusalem. We're about to have Palm Sunday, and uh, so Jesus is teaching his disciples, and the two things that he really wants them to remember, one are the thing that Christy talked about last time, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he's about. He's come to rescue us, he's come to show us God's love has come to invite us into the kingdom of heaven. That's what the life of Jesus was all about. It was a rescue mission. And many of us, we're here this morning because he found us and he saved us. So that's the first thing Jesus says. The second thing, well, that's the story of the, the parable that we're looking at this morning. And first verse tells us their expectation. Uh, Jesus tells his parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They'd arrive in Jerusalem. Jesus would be revealed to everybody as the Messiah, the saviour of the world that they've all been waiting for. Jesus would lead an uprising. The Romans would be kicked out. Jesus would be enthroned king like King David in the Old Testament and Israel would be established as a new independent nation and all the Gentiles would be... um, there'd be a bloodbath and it'll be annihilated and that was what they were expecting to happen and Jesus says no the kingdom of God is going to come but it's not coming soon it's not coming as soon as you think it is it's not coming in the way that you think it is but it is coming and this parable is all about well how does God's kingdom come the people of God at the time they were kind of disappointed they thought it's going to come in one day day of the Lord God's going to step in everything's going to be sorted out and Jesus says no. So he tells this story about the, uh, the guy who goes off to have himself appointed king and leaves his servants in charge. That's the thing. We have been left in charge of God's kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he has he's left it in our hands. He's left it in our hands. And there are three things in this parable that we need, to, we need to learn from and we need to register if we want the kingdom of God to come. Because sometimes we think, oh Lord, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just do it? I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll pray that you'll come and build your kingdom and then I'll just go home and get on with my life and watch you do it. That never ever happens in the Bible. Never ever happens. God always involves us in the process. And um, being a follower of Jesus involves being involved in building the kingdom of God. And so there are three things in this parable that we just need to register and to learn from. The first is, 
And uh, for the first time in a long time, I've got three points, and they all begin with the same letter. So, yes, a round of applause. No, you don't have to, really. But anyway, there are three points, and they mean to be honest. So the first is, Jesus gives us the resources that we need. He doesn't say, I want you to build my kingdom, and then just leave us to do it. He gives us the resources. So, in the parable, he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. And a miner was about three months' wages. So this is a big investment. If you think in the culture of the time, uh, you know, you don't work and get, you know, paycheck at the end of the month. You work a day and then you get your pay at the end of the day. And then the next day you work and then at the end of that day you get your pay. So to be given three months wages would be extraordinary. It's extraordinary generosity and it's an extraordinary trust that he says, I'm going to give you all of this money up front and trust you to do with it. So... Jesus says, the kingdom of God is going to come, but you're the ones that are going to build it. You need resources. These are the resources. The two things that Jesus gives to us to build this kingdom are, first of all, his word. The word of God. This, this book, this Bible, this is the greatest resource that we have. This book says of itself that it is inspired. It's god Breathed. Paul writes to his young protege Timothy and says, All scripture is inspired by God, it's breathed by God, and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if you want to live the very best possible life and get the most out of this life that you possibly can, and if you want to be involved in building the kingdom of God, Jesus says, Have this book. Because this book will tell you everything that you need to know. Back in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord says to Joshua uh, about the, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. He says, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. So God gives to us his word. His word has authority. It's everything that we need to know. The second thing that God gives to us, that Jesus gave to his disciples, was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Right after the resurrection, uh, when the disciples had realised that Jesus was risen from the dead and they were really excited and they wanted to go out and tell everybody what they'd seen and what they experienced, and Jesus says, no, wait. Don't go yet. Wait. What for? Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 5. He said, John the Baptist baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. He says, wait. Because you don't just need information, you need power in order that you can transform. You can be transformational. So Jesus gives us the resources that we need to build his kingdom. He gives us his word and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And as the people of God, we need to be rooted in the word and dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we see that pattern uh, in the Gospels at the end of uh, Mark's Gospel. Uh, We read this about what happened. uh, uh, Verse 19, the very end of Mark, chapter 16. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So the disciples go out and start building God's kingdom by teaching people what Jesus has taught. And as they do that, the Holy Spirit works 
in them and through them to show people what the kingdom of God looks like. So people are healed, people are set free from demons, the, the, the outcasts are welcomed in, the, the least, the last and the lost are invited into God's kingdom and find a place of welcome. The, pe- the disciples speak about the kingdom of God and they show people what it looks like. We see the same pattern in Acts chapter 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas now are in a place called Iconium. And we read this, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So the same thing, they teach people from the word of God and as they do that, God's spirit is poured out in them and through them and they see people healed and saved and rescued and and redeemed. So Jesus gives us all that we need. The question for us, if we're disciples of Jesus, well, are we, uh, are we dependent on the, are we using the resources that Jesus has given to us? I know I'm always, always, always banging on about the importance of, of knowing, your, knowing this book, reading this book, not just hearing it on a Sunday morning for a few moments, but making it the, the daily pattern of your life. Uh, that you, you read something from this word, that you allow yourself to be fed through it. If you haven't started that and you, you've got an app, uh, sorry Kyle, uh, Katie will show you, but uh, on the, um, the version app, they do this brilliant thing with this verse for every day. And recently they have, there's like a video. So literally every day just click on the version app and there's a video. And it's one verse and then somebody pops up and just spends two minutes saying what the verse means. And it's brilliant. I start every day by, um, just by clicking on that. So if you're not in the habit of reading the Word of God every day, that's just the simplest way to, to start. Or if you don't do the tech, just pick up the book. Pick a Gospel, Mark, John, and just read a few verses every day. But Jesus wants to use us to build his kingdom. He's given us resources. We've got to use them. And the second thing is this dependence on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, whatever that is. Uh, I wouldn't know. Uh, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a daily dependency on the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Jesus says, um, you're going to build the kingdom and I'm going to give you the resources. This is what you need. You need the word of God and you need the spirit of God. You've got those two things, you can build a church. That's why we're here 2,000 years on, uh, because the church has done that. And when and where the church does that, the church grows. So that's the first thing. He gives them resources. Second thing, he gives them responsibility. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. God has entrusted the building of the kingdom uh, to us. He's given it to us to build. He says to the disciples, uh, you need to build the kingdom, but I will be with you because the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. The Holy Spirit is going to work in you and through you. You'll have everything that you need. But I'm giving you the responsibility to build my kingdom. So the question for us, if we, are, if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, is, well, how am I allowing God to use me in building his kingdom? I, am I investing the things that God has given me in order to produce a harvest in the kingdom of God? 
Because in the parable, uh, they all get given the same. They all get given the same. They all get given one miner each. So they've all got the same resources. So as Christians, we've all got the word of God. Uh, We've all got the Holy Spirit. Uh, The question of the parable is, uh, what kind of harvest are we going to produce? What's going to happen with the investment that we make? In the parable, one comes back with, uh, having made ten, one comes back with five, one comes back with, with nothing. But that's the question. Because sometimes I think we, we sort of fall into this thing as Christians of, uh, we think, well, I've got my ticket to heaven. I believe in Jesus, so now I'm going to heaven, so I can just coast through the rest of my life, and that'll be fine. Got my ticket to heaven, I'm all right. I can just, you know, live with my life, keep my nose clean, not get in anybody's way, not uh, cause too much trouble. Got my ticket to heaven, popped in there, that'll be fine. Well, Jesus says, no, see, what he's saying to his disciples is, that's not how it works. He's saying, I'm giving you everything that you need to build my kingdom. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How fruitful are you? This is really challenging, because it would be nicer if he just said, well, here's your ticket to heaven, just have a nice life, I'll see you, I'll see you when you arrive. He doesn't say that. He says, yeah, you can have your ticket to heaven, but... I want a lot more people to have this ticket to heaven and I need you to help me show them. So that's really challenging, isn't it? How are we allowing God to use us? How fruitful are we being in the kingdom of God? He gives us responsibility. It's the, it's the most amazing, incredible thing that this, you know, this God who spoke the universe into being with a word of his mouth now entrusts the building of his kingdom to you and me. I mean, it's, just, it's ridiculous. He could could just do it so much more easily if he just did it by himself. But he involves us in it. It's the most incredible thing that the creator of the world, because he's about love, wants to involve us in what he's doing. It's extraordinary. But are we willing to get involved? That's the challenge. Because, third thing, the third eye, there's a reward. I don't know if you ever think about that. The The way we live for God in this life will determine how we live with God in the life to come. The way we live in this life and the way we live for Jesus in this life will determine how we live with Jesus in the life to come. Because in the parable, they all get the same, they all do different things with it, and their reward is different. So the guy comes with his ten miners, and the response is, well done, good servant, you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Next guy comes. He's got made five. So Lord says, you take charge of five cities. And then the guy comes to you say, well, I knew you were, you know, I, I, you know, I just buried it in the ground. He gets nothing. The one miner that he does have gets taken away from him, but he still makes it. There's a, um, Paul writes a bit about this in 1 Corinthians, uh, where he's writing about um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. He's writing about how we build on what God has given to us and whether what we build will, you know, whether it will survive or whether it won't, whether it's, you know, we're building a good thing on the foundation that God has given to us or or whether we're not. Uh, And he just, he says this, if any man builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day We'll bring it to light, the day of judgment when we stand before the Lord. It will be revealed with fire and fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
If what they have built survives, they will receive their reward. If it is burned up, they will suffer loss. They themselves will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flame. So, Paul is kind of saying the same thing. He's saying, look, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah, you have eternal life. Trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. The question is, how will you live that new life when it comes? How will you, ex- how will you expend your this life and the energy and the resources that God has given you in order to reap a reward in the life to come. It's kind of a bit strange because we don't kind of like to think about it. We just kind of think, oh, I just live this life and then I'll go to heaven. And we never kind of think, well, what's that actually going to be like? We think, oh, I'm just going to sit on a cloud and play a harp. And hopefully I'll get kind of harp support lessons on the way up because I don't, can't play a harp at the moment. We kind of have this kind of, you know, ethereal, spiritual, which is completely unbiblical because the biblical image of heaven is as real and as physical as this world is, only more so. That's why Jesus physically rose from the dead. Because when heaven comes to earth, it will be a physical place and we will have physical resurrected bodies that we will be able to see and interact with. And it will be a physical society that functions like Adam and Eve in the Garden of of Eden. They lived a life in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. That's what God is restoring. That's what we're going to have. Well, are you going to be a head gardener or are you just going to be weeding around the borders? I want to be a head gardener telling other people to weed round the borders and point out the bits that they've missed. Although in heaven I'll probably be able to be proud of that because there won't be a problem. But, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's going to be a real world that we inhabit with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will have roles. We will have things to do. And the point of the parable is use this life for the kingdom of God so you can enjoy it for eternity. So, God has given us all the resources that we need to build his kingdom. He's given us the responsibility. And one day there'll be a reward for how we've used what he's given us. So, I don't know about you, I find that a little bit daunting. And uh, the only thing I can do before the Lord each day is to say, Lord, um, as I often pray, Lord, I just I want to be the person you want me to be. Doing what you've asked me to do in the place where you've put me. And I think if you pray that prayer every day, you can't go far wrong. Uh, Offer yourself to the Lord, make yourself available, and uh, he'll use you.